Welcome to the AM Global Podcast Series, addressing business concerns we face today. In today's podcast, we are joined by health system leaders from across the country to hear their thoughts on the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on both in and outpatient volumes. Now I'd like to move on to the professional staff. We've touched a little bit about it with the changes with regard to telemedicine and e-visits, but I'd really like to focus specifically on your affiliated medical groups. You know, what are you experiencing? What do you expect moving forward? Will they need to change the makeup and services or specialties they provide in the future? Barry, why don't we start with you? Thanks, Arnie. Well, certainly telehealth is something that during the pandemic, our various physician offices and medical groups needed to embrace and embrace fairly quickly. Frankly, I look back to the pandemic as somewhat of a a blessing to get us to move much more rapidly toward telehealth and some of the virtual tours that we were beginning to introduce, sometimes with a little resistance, only because it was different, it was change, it wasn't what they were accustomed to. But I'll tell you, when when all eyes are focused on primarily one thing during a pandemic, and that is how do we treat people who can't come into our facilities and telehealth and virtual health is the answer, things move quickly. So that will continue, certainly not at the levels we've seen during the pandemic. We're anticipating the virtual visits and telehealth to probably, at least for us, for the next year or so, to hover around 20% of the total patient visits for our medical groups. We also uh, have remote patient monitoring and, and a lot more regular outreaches to patients. One thing that we learned from our patients during this pandemic, uh, particularly those that had opted for a PPO for their health insurance, which, as we know, allows you to go to you know any doctor in any setting pretty much whenever you want, those folks more than anyone else felt as if they didn't have a home because they the model they chose was go wherever they want as opposed to a physician who they were attached to who was responsible for their health that would reach out to them and make sure they were attended to a lot more folks seem to be more interested in that model going forward which is something we have begun to work on another area that we had started before the pandemic, but it really only accelerated during the pandemic, and we're, we're just thankful we had it in place, and that is having behavioral health uh, resources embedded physically in the primary care settings and online uh, for our, our patients, and frankly, we've ex- extended it during the pandemic for our physicians and clinicians and other staff. But as to patients, that's been a real lifesaver because this pandemic certainly had all of the medical implications that we're well familiar with, but also a whole host of behavioral and mental health implications. And those virtual tools really allowed us to begin to attend to those. So those are some of the things that our physicians have been focusing on and will continue to be part of their work as far as we can see going forward. Great. Thanks, Barry. Uh, Jeff, how about you and the affiliated medical groups with Christus Health? Yeah, the, uh, as was said, the you know the virtual care process just skyrocketed, and and what was amazing to me is how patients reacted in general to seeing their physicians across all the different countries. The reaction was almost the same. It really drove home the point very quickly that it was a global issue and that the the drop in in physician office visits was very rapid and it didn't matter whether you were in Santiago or you were in San Antonio it was 
was quick and the uh, on the other end the acceptance um, the willingness and the acceptance of virtual visits functioned in the same way that it was uh, something that the physicians uh, embraced after they understood how to do it and had the tools to be able to do it they really stepped up in our case all the different uh, countries we saw a uh, just a massive increase in virtual care and a uh, high level of acceptance of that as a uh, as a way to deal with the pandemic I think you know one of the interesting questions on, on this will be who who owns virtual care going forward, and uh, you know as mentioned you know the reimbursement question, but I think it's also uh, a much more much better understood as a uh, and accepted as a way to take care of certain patients, and uh, it will be interesting to see how insurers look at it, whether they think that that's a space that they can. Uh, invest in and really provide to their members how providers, health systems, and even you know some of these pure play uh, companies go about trying to have a, uh, a more stable virtual care program in the future. So you know we have I think seen our physicians really step up very positive way. And you know the one thing I would say is independent physicians, uh, even though we're not talking about them necessarily have been impacted very negatively during the pandemic, and I think that will present another change in the dynamics. So certainly in communities where we still have a lot of independent physicians, we're trying to uh, reach out to them and have been through this period and see how we make sure, because you know, in some of the smaller communities, if you lose uh, independent physicians, it's, it's just very damaging because it's very hard to recruit. Uh, new physicians into um, you know mid-sized or smaller communities. So we've tried to care for, do everything we can to to care for all the physicians that are there. If they're a part of the health system, obviously we can do that in a more direct way. But if they're independent and serving that community, we've tried to uh, support them as well. Great, thanks, Jeff. Uh, I agree with you. I think the virtual care industry could change the entire distribution network of healthcare moving forward. We uh, won't have time on this podcast today to discuss it, but I'd love to discuss it with you over a cup of coffee. And uh, and maybe we will have another podcast to discuss it because it's macroeconomically fascinating and could potentially change the entire industry. Todd, why don't we move to you? Uh, how is Dignity Health, in particular in Northern California, and the associated medical groups experiencing this change? And what are you and the groups anticipating in the future? Thank you, Arnie. Yeah, one of the things um, I haven't heard um, thus far, I think, that needs to get called out is that um, never before in my career have I seen the extent of burnout of caregivers and physicians that we are seeing now. You know, I, I practiced through the AIDS epidemic, and it was it was horrific, but I never worried that by taking care of an AIDS patient, I would contract AIDS. So in COVID, it was entirely different, where we had caregivers that were exposing themselves and their families to COVID and working long hours, particularly in the areas that were hardest hit and the highest volumes. And there have been a lot of physicians and nurses, respiratory therapists and others who have been emotionally distraught to the point of quitting and retiring early during this pandemic. And I think as an organization, what we're trying to get adept at is how do we deal with this? How do we bring people back into the fold, how do we heal the moral injury that they're experiencing as a result of what they're seeing on an everyday basis? We're gonna to have to deal with this effectively. You know, we all need more primary care docs. And the, you know, the question is, what number do we need with virtual care? In Northern California, 
we compete against Kaiser Permanente to attract new grads. And they're very good at attracting new grads because they offer very lucrative and secure packages with all the things that these folks want. And it's hard to duplicate that. So we are really working hard, but we're also gonna have to compete at how do we care for these physicians? How do we make sure they feel that they're valued and that they're doing work that's important? And as we figure out the whole telehealth situation, we gotta make sure that caregivers feel connected to their patients like they did before, or they won't wanna continue. If they feel they're a cog in a wheel, it's not gonna make them feel like they wanna come back to work. We're also looking for physicians who can play nicely in the playground, so to speak. So can they do a pay for value? Can they standardize and, and deliver high quality care? And what's really important, and Arnie will know what I'm talking about here because we did this in Swedish, is can we build a culture of safety where our patients are exposed to the fewest number of medical errors possible? And what that involves is decreasing the power distance. So can we hire physicians who are willing to listen to nurses and respiratory therapists when they see something and uh, want to intervene on behalf of the patients? So these are the types of physicians we're looking for the types of caregivers, and we're gonna have our hands full. This is gonna require an entire paradigm shift in the way we do business. Todd, those are very poignant points. Thank you. And being a, having been a practicing physician yourself really brings uh, home those issues to, to all of us. I'm gonna move on to my last issue now, and it's a multi-part question. Uh, as you three well know, the COVID crisis has enhanced an already laser-like focus on current and future cash flows. In the past few months, federal funds and possibly some COVID-related admissions receiving outlier payments have masked much of the damage to the hospitals and health systems. Do you think health systems will need to change course to maintain sustainable and preferably comfortable cash levels? Will systems need to focus on consolidation or choose to approach and attract new patient populations? Could this in any way be an impetus for more collaboration between different health systems? Jeff, would you please start us out on these issues? Sure, happy to, Ernie. I think, um, you know, it, it is an interesting time from a uh, financial sustainability perspective. I think, you know, with all of the support payments that are available, at least in the U.S., it, it's helped many organizations get through this difficult period. But I, I do think the future is going to be challenging, in, in part, and Todd just mentioned it, is going to be finding physicians and nurses. We already had challenges with adequate numbers, particularly when you're talking about communities that aren't maybe the, the biggest high-growth cities that uh, you want to recruit to, the, the more uh, the mid-size and the smaller communities are very challenging to find nurses and physicians to move to to begin with. So I think, you know, the operating expense side combined with the loss of some of the uh, support payments will make the coming years uh, more challenging. And particularly if you see some of the low-acuity patients uh, that uh, don't end up coming back and some of the EDs that you might have more uh, space than you need. So I think that that operational discipline is going to be critical. I do think standalone hospitals are going to go through a lot of difficult times in the future. They've been struggling in many cases, and I think you're going to see that increase because they, you know, they have had the challenge of getting through this 
this period didn't necessarily have all the resources to do it and were kind of on the razor's edge, um, you know, from a financial sustainability perspective to begin with. I mentioned the other one, which I think is going to be, uh, you know, the independent physicians. I think you're going to see that get pushed even harder. You have most physicians wanting to be a part of a, a medical group and, and many of those going to either health systems or to uh, insurance carriers. And I think that's going to get accelerated and probably you're going to see retirements accelerate as well for those independent physicians. So I think those are all going to combine to put more pressure on all health systems, uh, even those that are in strong high growth markets, because uh, you'll have more of the total professional cost that will have to be covered by the health system, whether that's more larger medical groups, uh, deeper coverage, you know, the hospital-based physicians, all those kinds of issues, I think you're going to see fewer uh, independent physicians that will be out there. So I think uh, th- that's all going to combine to, uh, over the next couple of years, make it more difficult. I think we're, we're, uh, we're benefiting from the support now that once it goes away, we'll, we'll feel the difference. Thanks, Jeff. And although I didn't ask this earlier, given that you all are budgeting a, in a much more frequent way, and obviously you're looking at your cash every day, you know, any executive looks at cash every day, but are you formally forecasting cash differently or more frequently than you did pre-COVID? In our Latin American countries, we've always been very focused on on uh, cash uh, simply because it's a, a long, much longer uh, revenue cycle there. So we are continuing to focus that probably at a at an even more uh, detailed level there, uh, and particularly where you have governments that have been hit really hard and they are slowing down payments. So absolutely in Latin America, we are increasing our, our um, awareness of uh, cash flows and projecting the cash flows and, and uh, being ready if we think that there are going to be challenges um, in getting paid on time. The U.S., you know, we're always focused on our cash needs, but I, I don't think we're at a point, I think we feel like we're stable enough and we're not at a point that we've really changed anything materially there. I think that it's probably more on the operating expense side and uh, do we see an increase in operating expenses that will be bigger than we have experienced in the past with the growth of the medical groups and some of those things. That's, that's probably more of our concern than it is cash flow projections. Great. Thanks, Jeff. And Todd, how about you with regard to cash flows, prognostication, and what changes might be necessary uh, that you're seeing in Dignity Health? One of the things that I think, you know, obviously we're all faced with the same cash flow issues. We are looking at operating expenses as well. And one of the dramatic things that's come out of COVID for us is we are going to need a whole lot less real estate. So, I know, like yourself, I've been working from home a fair amount. I've got a couple offices that I'm rarely at. So do we need as many square footage office buildings as we used to have? And the answer is definitely not. So we're gonna be able to decrease our expenses just on our real estate needs alone. We're also gonna have to look for some alternate cash streams. Now I think getting into the insurance business um, is going to be something that's gonna be necessary. At least taking more risk will be one way to do that. Getting the medical groups to be at risk, owning, Parts of the supply chain is something that we're gonna, uh, we are currently doing, we're gonna continue to do. And we are also gonna have to be relying more and more on philanthropy. And philanthropy, I think, is gonna have an even bigger future in healthcare. 
many years ago, we used to say, hey, we got to be able to figure out how we're going to make a margin on Medicare reimbursement. Now, more than ever, that's still the case. I mean, how are we going to do that? That's true now as it was true then. So we've got to get all this waste out. We have to become more efficient. We have to figure out what are all the non-value things that we pay for. Um, and we just have to have a laser focus. Same thing that we were doing before, only now the heat is really turned up right now. This is just a scorched earth kind of uh, mentality we have to have around expense reduction. And um, yeah, the CARES dollars have uh, been a band-aid, which are going to be removed here. And we're going to have to be looking at what's left over in our profitability going forward. Very insightful, Todd. Thank you. And Barry, how about you on Memorial Care? Well, you know, to, to your question in terms of how hospitals and health systems are doing with respect to their cash flows and where they might go, it's it, it seems like we have kind of a, a tale of three cities, so to speak. We have the more traditional hospitals and health systems that rely upon, you know, predominantly uh, upon acute care revenue. Those were impacted significantly during COVID, and I think they will continue to be impacted significantly with all the changes in healthcare that the pandemic probably has only accelerated. Then you have the health systems that own a commercial or Medicare Advantage health plan. A lot of them did pretty well during the pandemic, just like the insurance companies that were literally printing money, if you looked at their quarterly returns during the period of the pandemic. And then you have the health systems and hospitals that have a significant amount, or at least a noticeable amount, of capitation revenue. They did well, too, during the pandemic, and I think they will continue to. Uh, so we really have three different pots to kind of look at here in terms of how they might fare. From a memorial care perspective, we've been, you know, so laser focused on cost discipline and being relatively conservative, even during the pandemic. And if you factor, you know, in or out any monies we got from the feds that we need to repay, which for us started this past Friday, we're still over 500 days cash on hand. So we have a fairly decent supply of cash. For us, it's really on the operating side as, as Jeff indicated. And so cost discipline will remain a significant focus, as well as uh, continued diversification of services. Again, not relying so much on acute care, diversifying the revenue stream that comes with getting into the ambulatory space. Uh, so that's where a lot of our focus has been. But I think we'll, we'll continue to get pressure. Uh, we know certainly for the federal government and every state in the nation, the, their legislatures are focused on healthcare costs, particularly with the financial havoc that was wreaked on companies, small businesses, and otherwise, during the pandemic, they're really gonna look for ways, how do we reduce this obligation we have to ensure our employees and their family members? And as you know, in California, we have yet again, an attempt to move to a single payor, which I predict will meet the same fate it's met every other time, but it's just an indicator that they're focused on the cost of healthcare. Legislation that has, I think, a decent chance of surviving this time around was introduced several weeks ago, and that is to cap hospital costs. From 30,000 feet and from a layperson perspective, it makes sense. As we know, it's going to be extraordinarily difficult to exercise given the wild variation in hospitals and hospital experience. They'd be far better to focus our attention, maybe taking a page from Oregon and try to shift to requiring hospitals to move toward value, toward value-based reimbursement, toward capitation and downside ACOs, then you eliminate all the temptation to on site of care or otherwise, and I think it can make a real dent in cost. Barry, that was great. 
and hopefully you won't start getting calls from people asking for money once they heard the 500 days of cash on hand. <laughs> but that that's a that's a great number and the, and the mark of a solid management team and a great organization. So congratulations. Uh, besides my adjusting here, so let me thank all of you for a very valuable and informative discussion. This is a topic that will continue to evolve as the vaccines roll out further and will certainly continue to be top of mind for C-suites around the country. Thank you again to our panelists, Dr. Stromwasser, Jeff Puckett, and Dr. Arbuckle. I appreciate you all being with us today and sharing your insights. For more of our healthcare insights, please visit our website, www.alvarezandmarsal.com. I'm Arnie Schaefer. Thank you again for listening to our podcast today on the impact of COVID-19 on patient volume across U.S. health systems and what the future holds. Alvarez and Marcel. Leadership. Action. Results.